0: Well, we're here. We might as well have church, huh? God's always up to something. I had a friend of mine who put on this big conference with a bunch of high-level leaders. And and, uh, the people that were catering the food called him and said, hey, we had a case of COVID. We can't bring the food. We can't come. And uh, I looked over at him. I was expecting him to just, you know, lose it. He started crying and worshiping. And he said, oh, God. Oh, and I was like, James, what's wrong with you? And he said, I wonder what God's going to do that got the devil so upset about trying to stop this. And I said, God, give me that same mindset. So when our pipe busted over there, you know what I did? Oh, God, what do you want to do in the gym (laughs) with a bunch of people that love Jesus? See, we got to turn worship. We got to turn this mindset that we have into worship. It's always a bright side because God's in it. There's always a bright side because you're still drawing air. If you're not dead, God's not done. He's still working things out on the inside of you. This is what God wants to do. He's trying to change us. The church is not a place where we come together and complain about who's president of our country. The church is a place where people filled with the Holy Ghost come in and begin to operate in the life of God and the power of God and step out into the earth and make a difference in this place. Might as well, we're in the gym. Come on now. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul and Peter saying, well, Nero's in charge, we better just pack it up. Give up hope, it's over with. Take me out of here. Why did the kings rage? <laughs> And the nation's plot in vain, Psalm 2. While that's going on, Psalm 2, you know what God does? He belly laughs. (laughs) Oh, man. God's laughing while we're weeping and crying about stuff. Come on now. You got the Holy Ghost. What more are you waiting on? Are you waiting on God to do something else? Are you waiting on God to do something else? He's given you his blood. He's given you his life. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's put giftings and callings on you. He's given prophets, apostles, teachers, preachers, evangelists. Jesus did that. Then the Holy Spirit goes a step further and starts giving us the spiritual gifts to change the world. That's what he's doing. But he can't do it unless people get a hold of a vision of that. And begin to walk in the life that he wants to give. The problem is, is when we look at everything, we look at everything, you in know, in, in this perspective, right or wrong. Stay with me now. We look at everything in right or wrong, good or evil. Do you know where that's from? The Garden of Eden. Don't give me the tree of life. Give me good, the knowledge that I can choose what's good and evil for myself. Yeah. So we read the Bible that way, right? Wrong. That's not the lens in which God calls us to look. God calls us to look in this lens, life and death. So when we live into the, the framework of right or wrong, you know what we do? We become religious. Well, that's wrong. And then what? When we start determining and being our own judges, guess what? What? We start exalting ourselves and being self righteous to where we see the wrong in everybody else, but we don't even deal with ourselves and deal with our sin and deal with our stuff. So everybody else is the problem, uh, but, but me. And that's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, Here's a tree of life, here's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ah, we can figure out what's good and evil. We don't need relationship. God was calling them into relationship in life. They're just trying to say, just tell me what's right and wrong. Give me some rules so we don't have to deal with the complexity of relationship. That's why some of us haven't went any further because we're not willing to go into the complexity of relationship. And every time Jesus brings something to the surface, we tuck tail and run to somewhere else and go to another church and blame them and blame this and blame that. You are the church. If you don't like the way it's going, change the church. You're the temple of God. So I'm trying to empower you to run this race to finish. I believe God's going to do one more push in the earth before he comes back. He's going to send another revival. America's not done. So you you need to get over that. America's not done. God's not done. I got some work I got to do. I got some work I gotta do. You got some work you gotta do. You got some family members that aren't saved that are living living headed their way straight into hell. And you you got some work to do. Quit trying to escape out of everything every time it gets tough. We're the worst escape artists. God's trying to get glory. If it's not supernatural, God doesn't get any glory out of it. Of course, it's beyond what you can do. If it wasn't, you could do it. And you wouldn't need God. That the impossible is actually an invitation into the life of God to accomplish his purposes where he would get the glory and it would be beyond you so that men would see your good works and give glory to who? But men see our good works and they think it's all about us. I, I submit to you it's because our works aren't supernatural enough to point anybody to God. We get twisted up when somebody just confronts us on something. Getting our feelings, throwing the towel. I'm taking my ball and going home. Yeah. <laughs> and we think, what's our solution? Oh, I need to just learn more of the Bible. Not with that mindset. You're just going to be more self righteous with that mindset. God is inviting us. In, I didn't mean to get so fired up. I'm just, I just, I'm taking the gloves off, man. I'm tired of the devil taking people to the cleaners all the time. Got such thin skin, can't handle nothing. Come on now. We get rid of that flesh, you won't have nothing to be offended in, and you could just walk in love. What am I even talking about? Y'all just got me all worked up and messed up See, what we like to do is compartmentalize God And keep him in our specific chambers Of where he won't disrupt our life We like to say, okay God, you're God at church But you ain't God in my workplace And you ain't God in my home We never say that and you're not God here. Or there, so, so so you stay there at church, and when I pop in once a month, <clears throat> when I pop in every Sunday, uh, I'm gonna give you the praise, and I'm gonna operate in my gifting. And I'm gonna be in this kind of thing. How many of you know God didn't give us the spiritual gifts to just operate inside of a building? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's why we haven't touched culture. Is because we're good at doing church, but we haven't realized that we are actually the church, yes. that you are the church. And this is the empowering thing that Jesus wants to do. He wants to get in on every sphere of your life. And he wants to come in and give it life. He wants to come in and give it purpose. And when you start to do that, suddenly your job becomes eternal in its significance. Suddenly when you're going through the drive through at McDonald's, it becomes an eternal significance. David said, God, I've set you before me at all times so that I would consider you everywhere. It wasn't that he could move God and place him there. It was like, God, let you be the foremost consideration in my life and of my life so that everything I'd do, I wouldn't miss any small moment of giving you glory and walking this thing out. So God just breaks the mold. Because the Jewish mindset when Jesus came on was the temple. And when Jesus walking the earth is actually getting built. So everybody's like, hey, if something goes down, it's got to go down in there. And a priest has got to do it. And the right priest has got to do it. (laughs) Right? And so Jesus just starts breaking the mold and says, I'm not confined to a building. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. He just starts touching people anywhere, anywhere, any day, any time. Right. He starts touching people on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, you touched that man on a Saturday. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but well, that's what happens when we look through the lens of right or wrong and not death and life because we'll create barriers that actually keep us from touching people that are in our mind versus having to say, does this give death or life? See, Jesus wasn't playing their game of their little Sabbath Saturday. When he saw somebody hurting, he was going to touch them on Saturday. He's breaking the mold. Jesus was what they called a peripatetic rabbi, which meant he didn't teach in a building. He taught everywhere he was. Yeah, everywhere he was was a teaching time, a moment. Yeah. And we've got the Holy Ghost in us that is our teacher, that's getting us in on the throne room of heaven. The Holy Spirit, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, eyes not seen nor ears heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man. What God has prepared for those who love him, don't stop there. But the Spirit has revealed these things unto us. Yeah. That the Spirit reveals to us the conversation going on in heaven and begins to tell us how to bring heaven to earth. Yeah. He's bringing us into the reality that we would be the access portal of heaven to pour out into the earth. And you're still caught up with you don't feel worthy enough. How much blood is Jesus going to shed on the cross to make you worthy enough? Is that not enough? But we're still looking at right or wrong. Well, when I clean up enough, I'm going to step into that role. No, you won't. You've been saying that for 40 years. Yeah. God's done cleaned you up, wiped you off, and towed you off. Start walking in relationship with Him and get into the complexities of the issues of your heart and let Him heal them. Find some people in a community of people you can confide in and trust and start getting some help and quit lying to yourself. lying to yourself. I found so many times that we make so many excuses about where we're at. As if the circumstances limit God's power. Think about if the people in the Bible lived the way that some of our mindsets are. Think if when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was going to get thrown into the fire and they said, God, Send myriads of angels with buckets of water to quench this fire. Oh, God's not here. Oh, well. No, the fourth man gets in the fire with him. (laughs) And doesn't appear until they get thrown in the fire. Like, Jesus, you could have showed up before we got thrown in. We got a little insurance. Jesus says, no, I need you to get in the fire. This is where I'm at. woo I'm already here. Yay! Now you're where I'm at. Now you're with me. Are like, God, don't let them open the lion's den for Daniel. Oh, there's a, a master lock on this thing. No, he allows Daniel to go in the lion's den. What God's trying to illustrate there is he's always going before us. Yes. That's why we can be create courageous. Because it ain't like we're saying, God, catch up. It's like, oh, you're already here. And we can step into that thing with the king. And that's the life he's invited us. That's why he was a peripatetic rabbi. That's where I was going. Thank you for that, Lord. He's a peripatetic rabbi. So everywhere he went became his school. So he says to his disciples, leave everything you know and come and follow me. And that in the journey of the journey in relationship, real time, everyday, everyday life became the seminary in which they were to walk in to know the life of God. I'm going to tell you something. You don't need a Bible college. you got the Holy Ghost and you got King Jesus as your guide. You've got a community of people around you. You have what you need. We've got to get the wine out and quit making excuses and start walking into the things of God. And every time we don't see what we think we ought to see instantly, we've got to keep staying the course. Heard a guy tell a story he prayed for over a thousand documented people before he saw one healing. What if he would have gave up at 995? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's like, I'm on a journey. And I believe the Bible more than I believe the opinions of men. So I'm going to keep plowing through in the journey with Jesus and what he's put on our hearts. I know, I feel that way too sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, we've got to keep plowing through. Because here's where you really find out what you believe, is when you're in the middle of the fire. And when everything you prayed for doesn't happen, like you decreed and declared it to. Because sometimes our decrees and declares are out of our spirit, not the Holy Spirit, let's just face it. And sometimes the church walks in more in what we want to see happen more than what God actually is doing in the earth. Yes. Amen. That's why we stop at our levels of revelation because once we think we already know everything and how it's supposed to be, we're not open for God to show us anything new. Because right. right. if you really want to see what somebody's all about, I can go to the Bible with my self-conceived notions of God and find anything I want to find. Is that the blind spot that Jesus is always talking about? Calling the Pharisees blind guides. How could they be blind guides when they had books of the Bible memorized? We think our problem is scripture memorization. If anybody, that the Pharisees would have been the ones to see Jesus. But what they were doing was carrying in their preconceived notions of who God should be so they couldn't see the new revelation that God was wanting to show them. But when we go in humble and say, God, I don't know what you're doing in here. Would you show it to me by your Holy Spirit? Then God starts bringing revelation and starts illuminating. Oh, I never saw that before. Woo-hoo! Because God only operates through a humble heart. He, he resists the proud. If you're prideful, he says, Oh, I'm resisting. I'm, a, I'm against that. But if you're humble, not smart, not great, not not whatever, but if you're just humble and say, God, I don't know, but I'm going to approach this as the word of life because you've said it was, God will begin to reveal things to you and give you new and fresh revelation about who he is and what he wants to do in your life. But we are so predetermined that we already know everything. God can't show us anything. New. He's saying, man, I got some fresh bread I'm baking up here. I'm trying to give you some Hawaiians, King Hawaiians, Rose, and you're still on the Wonder Hot Dog Now, <laughs> No, Great Value Hot Dog Bun. That hard one. That I still grab because it's 74 cents. <laughs> give me that thing. It's just a hot dog. <laughs> How good is a hot dog? <laughs> oh, I digress. Uh, what are we talking about? Yeah. So Jesus was walking everywhere he went so that we would know. Wouldn't it be funny if Jesus never did anything he just sat in his house and he's like alright, Sunday at 10.30 let's go to the synagogue and then he acted out in the synagogue and laid hands and people fell down and all this cool stuff and then he went back out of the synagogue and he just sat in his chair and just wait till Sunday Come on. <laughs> Wow. would he have had a crowd even? I've been doing that a long time I can tell you your crowd's going to be pretty limited (laughs) wink wink but if I walk in it every day the ministry will pour into me because here's the deal do you know when the right place and the right time is wherever you're at if you've got Jesus in your life that's the right time and the right place Wherever you're at, God's there too. He's there too. And he's wanting to just take, he's wanting to bust through this glass ceiling that we got. He's wanting to bust it through. Thank you, God, for putting us in a gym today where we can start working our muscles out and getting into real life instead of just being all cushy and padded. I'm glad the floor's all chipped up and everything else. And we can get our eyes on the king. So God's calling us into that life and that's why everywhere he went became a ministry opportunity. And sometimes, this is the crazy thing, when Jesus is walking this thing out, he'd be going to touch this one person and then a lady come through and busted the crowd and grabbed the hem of his garment. He's healing people on his way somewhere to where he ain't even going. And when we start to walk with Jesus in this way, we'll start touching people and not even know it. While we're going this way, people's getting touched left and right all around us. And that's the overflow of the life in Jesus. This isn't something he wants to do. And Pastor Matt, and y'all come every week and clap and cheer and say amen or say, well, that wasn't very good. uh, this This is for you. This is what he wants to do for you. Get a vision for this for your life. Get a vision for it. Without a vision, the people perish. Why is your marriage perishing? You don't have a vision for it. Why is your life not going the way? You don't have a vision for it. And a vision only comes from one place. It only comes from the Lord. So it's time to close yourself into the prayer closet again and get a fresh vision for your marriage, a fresh vision for your life, a fresh vision for your ministry, a fresh vision for the relationship and the love that God has for you. Because once you get a glimpse of this God's love for you, you won't be able to stop and keep from going. Anything I can talk you into, you can talk yourself out of. But let the Lord speak to your heart. <laughs> Let the Lord speak to your heart. Amen. He'll set you on fire, man. Amen. He'll set you on fire. I love that in Isaiah in the throne room, God looks around at the divine council. I don't have time for that, but he looks around and says, who are we going to send? And Isaiah's got a glimpse of the king. And he says, oh, oh, here I am. Send me. And when God tells us to go, like, well, I've got some bills I've got to get in order, and then I'm going to be free enough to. If you won't do it then, you sure won't do it when the fire gets really hot. I love that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Get it seven times harder. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he forgot. He shouldn't have went seven. That's God's number, man. Yes. Yeah. God probably like, oh, that's little burn up. They'll be in heaven. Seven times harder. Wait, that's my number. <laughs> Don't mock me. Now it's personal, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Come on. Good. So the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not personal. Our battle's not flesh and blood. That's what Paul tells us. This isn't personal. People are being animated by the demonic realm. Yes. Amen. And God says, what I've given you is sufficient to pull down strongholds and to conquer anything that comes in your path. But he needs us to believe it. He needs us to walk in it. God's calling us to the life of God. He's calling us to relationship. He's not calling us to right or wrong. Many many of us define our spirituality by how many right things we do compared to how many wrong things you do. You know what that's called? Works. I'm worthy because my good outweighs my bad. And God says, man, I don't play that game. I gave the Ten Commandments to prove to you I don't play that game. (laughs) Because James says you failed it in one, you failed them in all. He's calling us into the tree of life. But what did humanity do? They took the good from the life, but they rejected the life from the good. And when we do that and operate according to right or wrong wrong and not life and death, we end up walking into traps because we fall into this idea that we are better than what we think we are or these other things. And we miss out on the whole The whole reason why God's having us is that he's calling us to relationship. You ready for this? The cat's out of the bag. God ain't working no angle on you. Because he could do it without you. I'm I'm telling you. I know you're impressive. God could do it without you. He just doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. He wants to pull you into relationship. Why? Why? Because that's the best thing he can offer is himself. Amen. If, if God could offer you anything else that was better than him, he's so loving, he would do it. But God has stuck his flag in the ground and said, I'm the best thing I can give you. So that's where we're at. So when you begin to want to take that step forward and come into relationship with him. It's just like the prodigal son. He falls on her neck and weeps. You take one step to God, he'll leave all of heaven to meet you and fall on your neck and weep. Why? Because the father's presence is the best thing he could give. But in his acceptance. And you know what's really cool about that? After that encounter happens, he restores everything right back. Gives him his signet ring. Gives him his shoes back. The father throws his own coat over him. So when they come back into community, he would know, you're restored just like you was. Amen. Thank you, God. See, he head off the haters. And God will do that for you. He'll cut off the haters. I know people that hadn't come to God because they're scared of what other people are going to say about them. Thank I've spent a long time building this reputation. <laughs> and then I'm going to be a Jesus guy? Mm. Uh-uh. Well, see what you just did there? Somebody else's opinion is your God. So you're being owned and you're a slave and you don't even know it. And you think it's cool or macho. No, you're weak. You can't even step into the individuality that God has called you and blessed you with. Why does God want to give us relationships so that we'd have identity? Because if we don't know the Father, how in the world are we going to know how to be a son or a daughter? And that's all God's angle is. I want to have a family and love on (laughs) them. Ta-da! Behold the deep truths and revelations of God. I love you and want you to be in relationship with me. (laughs) It's so simple, we miss it. We're still trying to do right or wrong, and God's saying, no, I need you to do life or death. I need you to (laughs) to differentiate which one's life and which one's death. Because God is all about human flourishing. And anything God's in is life. So if you see death attached to it. I don't care how you justify it. To make it look right. If the death is attached to it. I don't want no part of it. But if there's life attached to it. I don't care what day it's on. Who it manifests on. Who it manifests in. Hey I'm I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. That's the life of God. That's what God wants to call us into, is a life with him. That Jesus becomes the new Joshua. And when Joshua's told in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, I'm handing over to you every place you set foot, as I promised Moses. Jesus is the fulfillment, the real Joshua. And so he's walking everywhere he went. He's taking territory everywhere he goes. And that's the same mindset God's calling us to have. Everywhere I'm at, God's at. And the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. And he's in me, so maybe I need to quit acting like. So Jesus walks this walk in relationship with these men And then he doubles down on them. Oh, gosh, Jesus. Doubles down on them. Says, guys, I ain't going to be here with you much longer. But it's going to be beneficial to you. That's a hard sell. That's a hard sell, Jesus. Wait a minute. We're walking with you. We're on your coattails. You're kicking up dust and it's hitting me in the face. How can this not be the best thing going This is oh no, I got something way better in store. Because as of now, the presence of God is contained as a meeting place in in this human body that I have. But when I send the Spirit of God, there's going to be no time or limitations on my presence and Spirit. And while I've been able to cover, you know, a, a pretty good little chunk of territory here, that, we, that most would be impressed by, I'm going to call you to go into the entire world, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. That God's mission for his people is always bigger than his own mission. Amen. You know why? Because God is secure in who he is. When you're not secure in who you are, you won't empower nobody to do nothing better than you. You'll operate in insecurity, micromanage, keep people from entering into the fullness of who God's called them to be. Why? Because you're not secure. But God says things like this. Greater works will you do than I'll do. Jesus, I've never hurt anybody. Jesus says, it's just my nature. Yeah, I covered this little area here, but you're going to go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of God. That's why when Jesus reveals who God is, he says, he's the father. Why? Because fathers are secure in who they are. The father doesn't have to be right. That's why Paul says, you have many teachers, but you don't got many fathers. See, a teacher just wants to disseminate information and be right. A father says, "I just want to be a part and keep this thing together. Yes. I want to provide and protect, and I want my kids to go past me. Yes. That the vision for my kids is greater than the vision that I have for my own life, yes. and I'm not threatened by that. Why? I'm securing it. I'm securing it. Why? Because their success makes me look good, and that's the Psalm 23 prayer. You're walking righteous paths for." my name's sake. see when you look good God looks good remember that suit guy with the cigar when you look good we look good y'all remember that maybe only I saw that commercial I don't know it's all good we're just flowing right now anyway that's what God says man when you look good I look good. That's why a father in the stands watching his kids compete and they score, he just jumps out of his skin and says, yes! More pleasure than making the shot himself. Why? Because he would rather see the success of someone else than he'd have have the success all to himself. And that's how God is. He's looking all the time to hand out anointing. Hand out calling, yeah. hand out purpose. He's just looking for somebody. Matter of fact, the Bible says he looked through the whole earth. I looked everywhere for somebody to stand in the gap. Yes. And I couldn't find nobody. This is the difference between the mission of God and the mission of Satan. The mission of God is he looks, for, looks throughout the whole work, uh, earth to somebody to stand in the gap. And here's the mission of the devil and Job. I went through the whole earth looking for who I could deceive and who I could twist up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God's looking for some people to begin to get a hold of the Joshua reality that everywhere my foot treads. God is there, yes. and not only is he there real time, he was there long before I got there. He was there long before I got there. So Jesus is bringing that new reality of Joshua into remembrance. Ah, oh, man, I better come to an end. Well, make sure I got five minutes. Go Go How you like them apples? I'm going to get on page one and a half of my notes here. Right on. I'm just learning to be comfortable in my own skin. Because once you find out God's accepted you the way you are and that he loves you, man, you can just be yourself. I I quit the performing thing a long time ago. I used to want to just be good. God, let me be good. Let me preach good. That don't help nobody. That just gets you a pat on the back and a good clap every once in a while. I say, God, I want to be anointed. I want to be your vessel. God, show me how to be a son. If we'd be more in tune with God teaching us how to be a son than being humiliated. That's how I used to pray. I've died a thousand deaths from that seat to right here. Well, other places. but. And every time I said, God, just take the fear and just the whatever that is. What is that? Anxiety? I don't know. Something. From this place, God. I got to get up there. What if I don't, I don't even remember what I was going (laughs) to say. I'm letting you guys in on something here, okay? I'm trying to help some people. And I said, God, I don't, what if it don't come out right? I've doing this for 15 years. I think I'd be further down the track. And then something about this right here and this right here. That God never gives me the assurance until I open my mouth. Ever. Ever. He never gives me the assurance. And he will never give you the assurance until you take the first step and step into the thing God's calling you to. He just won't. You're waiting to feel good and qualified about it. And God's like, dude, ain't going to happen. If I give you that, you're going to be so full of pride, you're going to be hell on wheels. You're gonna to have to know your source. In order for me to do that, I got to keep you in this weak, humble place where I can actually work through you and be a filter that won't be filtered out everything good. Otherwise, you're gonna be performing and showing out all the time. I'm just tired of the. Oh, I just. We just need to be real, man. We are people, and we got an awesome God, <laughs> and He loves us, man. We're walking in a relationship with Him. Like what? I'm tired of making excuses. my own life. There's this moment in Haggai. Oh man, it's so cool. God set us up putting us in the gym. Because I had this way before that. He set us up. Haggai chapter 2. If you guys want to get in the text or something. We didn't have church if we didn't, you know. Yeah. So Haggai is a contemporary of Ezra. And what was going on around that time was is that the Persians overtook the Babylonians. And so, just like Je- Jeremiah prophesied that 70 years they would be in captivity, when that captivity was over, the Persians conquered Babylon and then the Jews found great favor. A lot of people say because the scroll of Isaiah actually mentions Cyrus by name, so that when he shows up, they open up the scroll and say, We already knew you was coming. What makes that cool is, is Isaiah was around 700 BC. And that deliverance didn't come till some hundred years later. So some think that that's why the Persians really favored him. Because Isaiah had already prophesied what was going to happen. I think it's in chapter 45 or 35. I can't remember. It's a five. Um, so when he gets... So when the Persians release them, they release them to go build the temple. This is where Ezra and Nehemiah really come to the forefront. Nehemiah's coming to build the wall, and Ezra is coming to build the temple of God. So as they get there, they begin to start the work. And you know what they figured out after 70 years of captivity? They weren't very good construction workers. <laughs> and the work was hard. I had to call up TJ, my brother. Frame up some walls. We got to get the temple built, TJ. (laughs) So they're trying to build the walls. They're trying to do the work. They're laying the foundations. And you know when it got hard, what did they do? They quit. Quit building the temple. And do you know what They did. They started focusing on their own homes. That the national identity of Israel is that they were the people of God. But when the work got hard, they turned inward and quit putting themselves out there and said, Well, I'll just focus on my house. That's a lot smaller anyway. And so Haggai comes on the scene after 12 years, the building had stopped, and Haggai comes on the scene as a prophetic voice and says, why do you live in paneled houses? And the temple of God lies in ruins. So if you know anything about Israel, it's all rock. So when they said that they were using paneled houses for their own, they were using cedar trees and they were doing something, making their own homes ornate, but they had forgot about the presence in the temple of God. He so says, why do you dwell in paneled houses And the temple of God still sitting there in ruins? And the people of God grab a hold of the prophetic word and they start entering into a new strength and a new vigor. And they just start laying the foundations of that thing they start laying it. But after those 70 years, like I said, they didn't have too good a folk working on this thing, okay? So when they lay the foundations, both generations come together to admire the work. One generation's crying because they saw what Solomon's temple looked like. And the other generation is cheering because they had never seen Solomon's. They were just happy to be a part of what God was doing. See, as God moves us into something new, we could actually be weeping about something that God's saying, I've done left that a long time ago. So Haggai comes onto the scene and he sees the crying and the cheering together. And this is what he prophesies. Haggai chapter two, verse three. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Does it look to you now? Does it it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Zazadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord God Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. "'The silver is mine, the gold is mine,' declares the Lord Almighty. "'The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house,' says the Lord Almighty. "'And in this place I will grant peace,' declares the Lord Almighty." See, the structures will not be as impressive in the new thing God's wanting to do. But don't get caught up on the outside. You need to get caught up on the glory that is on the inside of you. You need to get a hold of what God is doing on the inside of you and quit worrying about what everything else looks like. The glory ain't gonna look outwardly like it used to look. We're coming into a new season, a new precipice of history. But the glory on the inside of this temple right here will be greater than you could ever dream or imagine. God says quit looking at the mold structures. Solomon's house looked good on the outside, but you know what? He had a thousand different wives. That means a thousand mother-in-laws. Pray for me. Pray for me. Yeah, cut that feed off. Edit it. Solomon's house looked good on the outside, but it was full of disobedience on the inside. And he says, I don't care how shoddy this looks. The glory of God is in there. I don't care that we're in a gym right now. The glory of God is in here. I don't care what you look like on the outside. The glory of God is in you. You are the temple of God. This is what God is calling you to. Quit blaming everybody else. And to take extreme ownership. I love that Micah. Extreme ownership. This is mine. Some of you need to claim ownership of your marriage. Your wife's the only one taking ownership. I know it's bad, baby. Somebody needs to take extreme ownership of their family. Quit blaming the other person. Somebody needs to take extreme ownership of your addiction. You fooling everybody but God. I'll tell you this, you ain't even fooling everybody. Yeah. And I could come grab you right now, but I'm not going to do it because i got a little more grace than that for you. Yeah. God wants to do it. God wants to do it. He just wants to do it.